Hello, this is Dr. Peter Melanoski, clinical psychologist and IFS therapist, continuing with our summary series of the book Internal Family Systems, second edition by Richard Schwartz and Martha Sweezy. We are now into chapter eight, insight and direct access. Those are the two primary ways that IFS therapists work with clients, insight and direct access. And really, these are different ways of directing the client's attention within, directing the client's attention to go inside and work with his or her internal system. So parts of us, parts of our clients that have not been acknowledged, that have not been recognized, that have not been seen, that have not been heard, that have not been known, these parts don't know themselves very well. And there can be a lot of confusion that parts have about themselves, a lot of confusion that parts have about other parts, that parts have about being in a system at all. And so they can be rather poorly differentiated, really not have clear distinctions, sort of live in this confused and chaotic world inside. And so as IFS therapists, we're going to help with that. So One of the things, if you'll remember from chapter seven, is that we are trying to assess how much self-energy the client has. Why? Because we want to know as clinicians who we're talking to. Are we in relationship in the therapeutic encounter with the client's self? Or are we talking with a part, a manager part, for example? If the client's self is available, That client's self does the communicating. And then we are into insight. And that's spelled I-N hyphen S-I-G-H-T, insight. However, if the client's self is not available, then by definition, we're talking to a part or maybe several parts. And then we are directly accessing a client's part, and that's called direct access. So those are the two, insight, if we're working with the client self, direct access, if the client self is not available and we're working with the client's part or parts. Whether we use insight or direct access, either way, we definitely do not want to be interacting as a clinician from our own parts. In other words, I want to be in myself, right? Because as long as we're having some self in the relationship, the relationship's going to go better, right? If if there's a fair amount of self-energy in the relationship coming from the clinician, it's going to go much better. Where you get into a lot of trouble is if we're in a part-to-part relationship, if the therapist is taken over by a part. If the therapist is taken over by one of his or her parts, then the interaction has this way of potentially becoming very destabilized because the stabilizing, guiding, directing, governing influence of the self is not present. Remember as a clinician that you're always working by invitation. As clinicians, we don't want to intrude or invade the inner world of a client. It's a sacred, special space. And so we've, we only operate by invitation. We, we come in because the parts have decided and chosen to trust us enough to show us who they are, to invite us in. And that is 
often very perilous. It can feel very risky for parts to do that. So we want to treat that with the utmost respect, really honoring the dignity of the parts and the system. Okay, so insight. This was discovered by Dick Schwartz. And it's really important that we understand that this isn't about imagination. This isn't about constructing something in the mind, using the imagination to create a fantasy world that somehow represents what's going on inside of us. No, with insight, we're trying to develop this keen understanding of internal realities. This isn't some metaphor, some symbol to sort of represent you know, aspects of the self. What Dick Schwartz argues is that, no, these are realities. These parts are real. Sometimes insight can be blocked, and we just have to recognize that. It's, it's a fact, and it's okay. Sometimes client protectors have lots of concerns about letting the client's self emerge. They may not know about the self. They may not believe the self has the capacity or the ability to effectively govern their systems. And so we want to recognize and honor those protectors' concerns. We want to make sure that we address those protectors' concerns and recognize that they have reasons for why they believe what they do. If we're patient, if we're curious, if we're approaching those protectors with, with respect and with confidence and with patience and with authentic care and concern, they will almost always relax and give us space. They don't like the job that they're doing. They're not, they're not eager to be forced into the extreme roles of vigilance, you know, of guarding. They want to be connected. And so if we can provide them a reason to trust and to open up, they will. One of the beautiful things and one of the most exciting things about IFS for me, having been trained in IFS after nearly 25 years of working with clients, is that the client's self becomes the therapist when you're using insight. The client's self is directing, governing, leading the therapy. And the therapist, the therapist who has self-energy, who is self-led, is serving in an adjunct role. The therapist is there for the client's self to be able to connect with, to consult with, And the therapist is there to be a witness, to accompany the client's self on this journey of getting to know her or his parts better. And the other amazing thing about clients when they are becoming more and more self-led is that they can do this work on their own so much more effectively because the primary therapist is the client self. It's not the one hour a week or the one hour every other week that the client's meeting with a therapist in order to access, you know, the the wisdom and the expertise of the of the therapist. No, what we're what we're doing in this kind of therapy is empowering the client self to be that primary therapist. Okay, so let's talk about when 
the client does not have access to self. It's very common, especially when there's been a lot of trauma, especially when there's been a lot of attachment injuries, then we may not have access to the client's self. And so then by definition, we are going to be in a situation of direct access. And this is when the therapist is communicating directly with the client's parts hopefully from the therapist self, right? It actually is more demanding to do therapy through direct access than through insight. And that makes sense, right? Because in insight, you've got the therapist self and the client self, right? You've got the client self leading, the therapist self supporting, you've got two selves, right? More self energy in the system because the client's got bringing the self energy. When we're doing direct access, there's more demands on the clinician and more of a need for the clinician really to be unblended, for the clinician to really be recollected, for the clinician really to be in a good place, right? So how do we start with that? Well, in the same way we do with insight, we ask for permission. Can I talk directly with the part that is, and then fill in whatever the trailhead is, whatever the distressing experience is being caused by the part? Now, you could, especially with highly traumatized clients, be working in direct access for a long, long time. It's not something where we necessarily expect to be able to resolve this in one session or two sessions because sometimes these systems have been so traumatized that there's an extreme amount of protectiveness and the trust can take months or years uh, to develop to the point where protectors are willing to relax, give space, and let the client's self emerge. So when protectors block the client's self, the clinician's self steps forward into that role to help the client's system become more organized and stable. With direct access, we're really, as clinicians, talking with one part or another part in the client's system. And again, we're thinking of that as being temporary. We only do that for as long as it takes to help the client's self emerge and take over the role of governing the client's system. We really are looking for the client's self to do that. Now, direct contact with these client parts through direct access, that can be really challenging for clinicians. And the, the more traumatized a client is and the more reactive their parts are, the more of a challenge that the therapist is going to have to remain in self. These clients, these more traumatized clients have great needs for safety and security and their protectors are going to probe and test the therapist's system in order to find out where the weaknesses and vulnerabilities are because it's a matter of safety. It's a matter of life and death for the client's protectors. They need to be able to do that. And as such, those clients are great gifts to us as therapists because they're going to reveal to us where our own systems need attention. What parts within us do we really need to be caring for? Do we really need to be focusing on in terms of unburdening and healing? And you know, sometimes as clinicians, we're going to make mistakes. Sometimes we're going to have lapses. We're going to blend. We're going to react from a part, you know, in the, in the therapeutic encounter. And then the best thing is to own up to that and apologize, recognize it, admit it, you know, allow the client to have a whole different experience 
of repair, of reconnecting. And great good can come from that because often that was not part of their experience in their formative years. Direct access allows parts to embody and express themselves, and we can see those parts in action. And it's amazing when when you are doing direct access, when a client is very much in a part, you can often see that not just in what the client is saying and the content of the speech, but by how the client looks, right? Facial expressions, tone of voice, body language. I mean, the whole package, you can see that. You can see often those shifts. In review, we use direct access to work with managers to create a plan for therapy. We use direct access to give protectors an opportunity to have a direct relationship with us as the therapist and to come to know us and to test us and to probe us and to find out whether we're worthy of trust. We use direct access to speak with highly activated parts or parts that the, that the client system is are really concerned about as far as being dangerous, unsafe, right? We work, we often work with those parts through direct access. We use direct access to talk to parts who won't talk with the client self, but they will talk to us. We use direct access to facilitate unblending because again, unblending is part of how we get back to the client being in self and having self energy. Direct access is great because parts can embody and express themselves fully. Parts can learn about their feelings and thoughts by articulating them, by putting them into words so that they can be shared and understood across their own system and also be shared with the therapist, right? And with other people that are important in their lives. Direct access is good because protectors are able to clarify their motives, you know, to get some clarity, to be able to connect in relationship. Protectors during direct access can connect with the therapist self, feel that self energy, and also feel more connected to the client self because the client self is often there listening and witnessing what's going on. Also, as other parts watch the direct access that's happening between the therapist self and the client's part, they come to see the part that's engaged with the therapist differently, right? They're starting to understand that part more. They're starting to see that part in an entirely different light, including that part's good motivations, rather than just fearing that part, hating that part, wanting to suppress that part, polarizing with that part or whatever is going on in terms of the internal conflict. What are the disadvantages of direct access? It's inefficient. It's slower, all other things being equal, than if you do have access to the self. There is a risk, and this is really significant, there's a risk of talking to a part without other parts' permission, right? Sometimes a part just takes over the client, right, and has decided it's going to run the, the therapy show with the therapist and direct everything, and we have to be really careful when we're working with direct access, when we're working through direct access to make sure that we're not steamrolling another part. Direct access can stimulate transferences much more readily. Those transferences can be intense. There's ways that parts can project all kinds of things onto the therapist. And so there's greater demands on the therapist's part for self-energy and for being internally stable. And direct access doesn't directly foster the client's parts creating a secure attachment with the client's self. 
there can be this difficult transition when when the parts of a highly traumatized client have formed the secure attachment with the therapist self, but now the client self emerges, right, as we want, as we hope for within a therapy, and they are invited to make that transition from having the primary internal attachment object being the therapist self to the primary internal attachment object being the, the client self. That can be hard. That can be really hard for some parts. Here's a really fundamental point. It's like one of the brilliant discoveries of internal family systems, and that is exiles have the ability to choose whether or not they will overwhelm the system. If they've made that jailbreak, if they've gotten out from under the thumb of the manager that's watching over them and they've broken free, they actually don't have to overwhelm. They can choose to hold on to the intensity of their experience and not blend and not overwhelm if they think that that is actually going to be better for them, if that's actually going to be more helpful. And so because they have that capacity for choosing to overwhelm or not, we have a potential space in which to work. Now, when they do overwhelm, right, when a person is overwhelmed with terror or desperation or sadness or shame or fear or whatever the intensity of the experience is, we see that as IFS therapists, as a call for help. It's a cry for help. It's a sign of distress. We don't see it as pathological, you know, as as evidence of borderline personality disorder or you know bipolar disorder or whatever the whatever the the label is right that pathologizes a person any more than we would see an infant crying right and making noise because it's struggling with some need as being pathological right what we're doing is we're hearing the distress that's being expressed by a part And that distress could be expressed in a rather extreme way, but we still see it as a signal, a call, a cry for help. When clients are overwhelmed, we need as therapists to be especially in self, to be especially self-led, to have high levels of self-energy, right? Because we can't rely on the client self because that client self is overwhelmed and occluded by the client's parts and parts that are highly, highly activated. And so we need to be especially grounded in those situations. We want to be present to our own systems, to our own exiles. We want to be checking to see if any of our parts are, are starting to become unsettled, right? Or if there's any uh, concerns or distress that are coming up within us. So we're looking for stable connections. We're looking for integration. We're looking for secure connections. And that's in several areas, right? We're looking for a connection between the self and the parts within our clients. We're looking for a good connection between myself as the therapist, my myself and the client self. And we're looking for good connections between parts that have self-energy, that are self-led. Some people think that direct access might be kind of mysterious or it might be, um, I mean, what is that? Dealing directly with the client's 
part. Well, if you've done any therapy at all, you've probably done direct access because so many times clients come into our offices and they are in a part. They're blended with a part. That's the you know, clients that first show up and they're in distress, right? Which is why most clients come to seek therapy anyways. There's significant distress. There's clear trailheads. They're in a part, right? So you're already doing direct access from when you first sit down with that client in the initial meeting. So how do we do this? When the client identifies a sensation, a feeling, a thought, some kind of internal experience that seems prominent and significant, we ask that client whether it would be okay to focus on that experience and to see if there's a willingness for that part that holds that experience or that is creating that experience to talk with us directly. It's just We just ask for permission. It's actually not that hard. We're looking to see if it's okay for that part and all the other parts of the client system to establish a relationship and a, and a, and a communication with that part. And, and these are the kinds of questions that we can ask that part once we have that initial line of communication open through direct access. We can say, what do you say or do to Marcella? Let's assume Marcella is the client. That's how Schwartz and Sweeney have written it in their book on page 119. What do you say or do to Marcella? Why do you say or do that to Marcella? We're trying to get at you know, kind of what the intention is here. And remember, the intentions are good. We're going to look for a good intention. Even if the intention doesn't sound good on the surface, we need to understand it deeper, right? If, if we're not immediately aware of why that's a good intention. What do you make Marcella think or do, right? We're looking at how this part influences the system. What is it trying to do? And what does that part do for Marcella? What do you see when you look at Marcella? This will give you a sense of how the client sees or doesn't see Marcella's self. How do you think Marcella feels toward you? It's a very interesting question because you get an idea of how the part believes it's being experienced by the self. What are you afraid would happen if you stopped doing this to Marcella? That's another way of getting at what the part's role is in the system, the kind of role that it's taken on. How old do you think Marcella is? A lot of times you'll get a very young age. It has little to do with the client's chronological age. And how old are you? We can ask the part. And again, parts are often much younger than they might seem. Now, there's no need to have to do this perfectly. It can be messy. It can be approximate. If the client's parts believe that you have good intentions for them and they believe that you sincerely are trying to connect, they will help you with that. It does, it's not something that has to be precise. Eventually, we want to be thinking about how can we connect the client's parts with the client's self as we're doing direct access. We want to be always keeping that in the back of our minds, how we can go eventually to that point without rushing it and certainly without violating the client's parts. So we're really getting to know the parts, really getting to understand them, getting to know their stories, getting to know what their needs are, getting to know what their experiences have been, what their beliefs are, what their worldviews are. Sometimes clients have difficulty distinguishing among parts and then we can bring out the two-chair technique that comes from Gestalt therapy where we would have 
a chair for the part that we're working with in direct access, and then a chair for the client's self or possibly another part of the client that the first part is polarized with. And then we can actually have the client move from chair to chair and embody different parts or the part and the self. Creating that dialogue, it can sometimes really help, especially clients that are more kinesthetic, to have that bodily experience of moving and the difference in perspective in terms of where they're sitting to be able to, to more fully engage in that differentiation between part and self or between part and part. That brings us to the end of chapter eight. It has been good to be with you on this. And I look forward to picking up with chapter nine. And we will be getting into finding, focusing, and fleshing out protectors. We're going to go much more into how do we connect with those protectors. So we'll see you on that side.